Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Kyle, happy Thursday, bro. Yes, sir. I know um, I know you're not necessarily feeling the best right now. You're kind of going through a cold right now. But um, it's good to have you back, my guy. I know you went up to uh, Philly last week, got to see the Eagles and the Cowboys game. How was that? Dude, I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, the link was crazy. The fans were nuts. The game was crazy. Uh, you know, Philly almost lost that game. But, I mean, overall, I thought it was a great experience. Got to spend time with my girl's family. It was a, a well-needed trip, but it seems I, I brought the cold with me to Florida, and it seems that I gave myself a cold with the change of temperatures and whatever have you. So I'm uh, I'm in the pits of it right now. Yeah. I, I'll say, you know, the last couple of days, bro, it's been beautiful here in Florida. Hell, yeah. But, uh yeah, when it hit like 50 degrees the other day, when, when I got back home from work the other day, it was nice. You know, I, It's a nice even, little reminder of the even, cool weather. Even now, bro, I'm still rocking a hoodie. So, I mean, I could take this off if I needed to, but it's just kind of nice to have on just, you know, just because I'm not sweating to death for once. It's, it's, exactly. It's That's definitely the biggest nice. thing. Yeah. That is the best part of hoodie season. People are like, oh, you only wear hoodies because you're cold. No, 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 no. I wear hoodies because... I can wear them without sweating. And there are different outfits that Northerners like to wear in weather like this. So uh, definitely happy the cooler weather is here. Uh, Even though I'm sick, uh, it's still nice to be able to walk the dog, go outside and get air and it not be 95 degrees. Yeah, we don't get opportunities like this every, like we don't get these often. So we take advantage of them when we can get them. So I'm with it 100%, even if it goes back up to 85 degrees next week. I'm taking full advantage of the three days where it's going to be a little bit chilly to wear a hoodie. But Facts. Um, outside of that, guys, we got a pretty decent week seven slate in the NFL. The NFL, not the NFL, the NBA is back in full swing. Uh, we'll definitely have some topics to go over. But Kev, now that you're back in the driver's seat, you ready to go over these topics? But of course. All right. So the first three games that we'll go over in the NFL, uh, the first one that we're going to go over is going to be the Falcons and the Cincinnati game. A couple of weeks ago, Kevin and I would have looked at this game as like a dud on the week seven slate. But looking at the way both teams have been playing, both are sitting at a three and three record. The Falcons are actually tied with the Buccaneers in the NFC South for first place. I don't think anybody had that going into the first six weeks of the season, but here we are. And City, they have kind of gotten back into a groove uh, after a pretty putrid start at the beginning of the year. But this actually is going to be an interesting game that, that takes place on Sunday. After that, we'll kick it over to the Seattle Seahawks and the Los Angeles Chargers game. Um, 
kind of similar scenario with both teams. The Chargers have been an up-and-down team this year. The Seahawks have been kind of a surprise just because they've shown that they can be a competitive force in these games that they've been going up in. And I think looking at just the way that both defenses have been playing, I think this actually has the potential to be a shootout when the Seahawks go up against the Chargers this weekend. And then to round out the NFL games, this is probably our featured matchup of the weekend. It's going to be the Chiefs versus the 49ers. Uh, the Chiefs are coming off of a very tough loss to the Bills at home last week and probably, I'd say probably the biggest game of the year at this point, just with how good the Bills and the Chiefs have been. Uh, but the Chiefs did take an L last week. Uh, they looked to bounce back against a San Fran team that had a really surprising loss to the Falcons last week. They lost by two touchdowns in that game. Uh, give credit where credit is due. The Falcons did play up to snuff that day, but the 49ers kind of got smacked around in that game. I don't think a lot of people necessarily had that going into that into that matchup. So they'll definitely be looking to get back into the win column against KC this weekend. And then after that, we'll transition into our NBA topics. Uh, Kev's going to have a little bit of a segment focused on Ben Simmons. We got to see Ben Simmons make his debut with the 76ers this season and didn't necessarily have the best performance. Uh, had a single-digit uh, point performance. Also fouled out in that game. Uh, there was definitely a lot of room for improvement just based off of his first performance that we've seen with him with the Nets. So I imagine Kev will have a lot to say about that. He's been not shy about criticizing Ben Simmons in the past, and I won't be surprised if he does a similar type of criticism here. But we'll kind of leave that game and the criticism for Ben where it's at. Uh, we'll talk about the Lakers going up against the Warriors. That was the first game, or was one of the first games of the year. And we'll just kind of talk about the state of the Lakers. Um, as we're recording, they are playing the Clippers, so they will be playing their second game. By the time you guys hear this, uh, the Lakers and the Clippers game will have already gone final. So we'll basically just kind of talk about the state of the Lakers, where we see themselves going this year, and whether or not that they could be a competitive force in the Western Conference this year. And then we'll round out the episode with a little bit of a little bit of a conversation of the Mavericks and the Suns. I know Kev's got a lot to say about the Mavericks. Um, safe to say that they fumbled the bag against the Suns in the season opener. They were up 22 points in that game. And I believe if I remember correctly, Kev, they lost that game by two points at the end. Damian Lee hit the game winner with like 10 seconds left. Uh, kind of a weird person to pick on for the game winner, but that's who ended up splashing it and uh, gave the Mavericks their first loss of the season. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that Mavericks and Suns game. And I know Kev is not going to hold back on his criticism of how the Mavericks run their system over in Dallas. So with that said, you guys, let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into these NFL games. The first one being the Atlanta Falcons and the Cincinnati Bengals. So like I said, this was a game that Kevin and I a couple of weeks ago would have probably looked past. We would have overlooked simply just because it really wouldn't have been that compelling of a matchup. But here we are six weeks into the season. Actually, I should say seven weeks into the season. And the Falcons and the Bengals are sitting at a 3-3 three and three record, respectively. Uh, the Falcons are... Hold on, give me a second. The Falcons are sitting at a 3-3 three and three record. They had a surprising win against the 49ers last week. And then to kick it over to the Bengals, uh, the Bengals had a pretty solid performance, I believe, against the Saints. Uh, Joe Burrow actually had a pretty nice day statistically against the Saints. And, you know, with that said... Uh, that puts Cincy back into a 3-3 three and three record at a 500 record after they had a pretty slow start to begin the year. So this game will be taking place in Cincinnati, so this is going to be an interesting matchup as far as I see it. 
So, Kev, to get this one to you, when the Falcons go up against the Bengals this weekend, who do you think is going to come out on top and why? This is a weird one because, like Kyle alluded to, a few weeks ago, this would have been an easy pick, and that would have been Cincinnati. Even though Cincinnati hasn't played up to par, or, or should I say expectations, I still would have picked Cincinnati without batting an eye. But now that the Falcons have gained momentum, they beat a tough San Francisco team. Marcus Mariota is getting into a groove. The defense is starting to settle in just a little bit and enough to obviously stunt the San Francisco offense that showed a promise over the last couple of weeks with Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and a couple of other players. So I am in shock that Atlanta is playing as well as they are. And with the NFC South not being out of reach, as Kyle also said, they're tied with the Buccaneers right now for the top seed in their division. This may fuel a young Atlanta team to say, hey, this is kind of like in front of us. This is something that is not seven games away from us. They're not one in six. They're not 0 in seven. They're not, you know, as bad as everybody thought they would be. You know, obviously Drake London is performing very well. Kyle Pitts has been a little hot and cold to say the least. Uh, I believe he got a touchdown last week as well. So finally, he's been able to shake off some of the rust. And with the injury to Cordell Patterson, the supporting cast in the backfield have been doing well as uh, also. So I, I'm going to say just off of safety. And I know every time I pick safety, the opposite ends up happening in terms of results. But I will pick safety here. I think that Joe Burrow and that offense is going to be too much for Atlanta. We all know that they have a okay secondary. I think Terrell Davis or whatever it is that his name is. I always forget the corner that is on the freaking Falcons that everybody talks about. And now I'm just going to sit here and look like an absolute tool. But for the sake of argument's sake, they have one solid corner, right? Obviously, that person's probably going to be following Jamar Chase pretty much all day. You still have T. Higgins. You still have Tyler Boyd. You obviously still have Hayden Hurst. Joe Mixon out of the backfield. I believe, personally, that the offense will provide to be, will prove to be too much for Atlanta. And I think that that is going to be enough for them to come out on top. I unfortunately think this will end up still being a closer game than I'd like it to be. Maybe somewhere along the lines of 24 to 20, somewhere along that that um, that deficit. But at the end of the day, I do feel that Cincinnati comes away with one. They start to try to claw back into this division. And Atlanta has one of their off weeks. I see them as kind of like one of those up and down team uh, teams throughout the weeks. But with the momentum, I would not be surprised if they were to upset a battered and bruised Cincinnati uh, Bengals team with the weakness in that offensive line. Kev, I have to agree with you on this one. I'm going to go with the Bengals as well. I'm with you 100% on this game actually being a relatively close game when it's all said and done. But to me, you know, when I look at the quarterback matchup between Joe Burrow and Marcus Mariota, I think this is a relatively easy one. I got to go with Burrow. And that's despite the fact that the Bengals have had some issues on the offensive side of the ball this year. When I look at the Bengals, when they got off to a really bad start, there were a lot of questions surrounding this offense, especially the offensive line, where they were getting criticized ruthlessly those first two weeks where they gave up, I believe, 13 sacks in the first two weeks. Granted, they have stabilized that portion of the offense. But when I look back to that game against the Saints last week, that was not an easy win for Cincy. They only won that game by four points, and Joe Burrow got sacked three times in that game. And when I look at Atlanta... If Atlanta is able to bring effective pass rushes against that Cincinnati O-line, I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Burrow gets sacked at least two, if not three times in that game. Just because when I look at the Falcons and what they did defensively against the 49ers, I thought they were extremely impressive to holding that offense to 14 points last week. And mind you, the 49ers had been on a pretty good hot streak going into that game. And when I made that pick, for the 49ers and the Falcons. I mean, it was an easy pick I was going with the 49ers all day, but the Falcons really went out there and played a 
flawless game as far as I'm concerned. They ran the ball effectively. Marcus Mariota didn't turn the ball over, uh, didn't turn the ball over as far as interceptions are concerned. And I thought the Falcons just really controlled the time of possession in that game. And I, it was really one of the more shocking results from last week. And I think there's a chance that they could carry that momentum going into this game against the Bengals. But I just don't see it. I like the matchup of Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd going up against that Atlanta secondary. Even though that Atlanta's defense, they have been playing relatively solid the last two weeks. They've only given up, I believe, 17 and a half points. In the last two games, they gave up 21 points to the Bucks two weeks ago. They gave up 14 to the 49ers last week. And there's a good chance that uh, the Falcons could put up a similar type of performance defensively against the Bengals. But I just don't know if that Falcons offense is going to be able to maintain possession like they were able to against the 49ers last week. I think the Bengals are in the driver's seat to get back to over 500. And I think they're going to force... Marcus Mariota and that Falcons offense into some turnovers. And I think the Bengals are going to take advantage of it. So as far as I see the score being in this one, I think this is going to be a one position game. I think the Bengals and the Falcons are going to go back and forth in this game. But I think, you know, when it comes down to it in the fourth quarter, I just have more faith in Joe Burrow and that offense in Cincy than I do with the Falcons with Marcus Mariota leading the way for them. I think the only way that the Falcons win this game is if they win the battle on the line of scrimmage and they're able to rush for 175 yards. I don't think that they're going to be able to get that. And I think, like I said, you tie in the factor of, I think Atlanta might turn the ball over one or two times in this game. The Bengals take advantage of that. I think that'll push Cincy to a win here. As far as the score is concerned, I got this one, I'm going to say 24 to 21 or 24 to 20, somewhere around that margin. But I think Cincy gets a dub. They move to four and three on the season. And the Falcons fall back to three and four on the year, seven weeks in. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, Atlanta is 100% over. Oh, he popped out at the warning track. Jesus Christ. Oh, you're talking about the Yankees game. Oh, I thought it was gone. God, my anxiety and being sick is not, I'm not well. Um, The corner that I had gotten wrong going back to topic for the uh, Falcons was AJ Terrell, one of the more up and coming and promising prospects out there at the cornerback position. Uh, Mm -hmm. Terrell Davis is a hall of fame running back that played for the Denver Broncos a couple decades ago. So my apologies there. Uh, But overall, I think that game is going to be entertaining more than people would assume. And again, I will say that I picked the Bengals, but if the Falcons were to come out of nowhere and win, it would not be a shock for me because they have been playing solid as of late and I think last week's win was a pretty good statement win especially with San Francisco being as hot as they were yeah I think when you look at the Falcons the Falcons kind of got a well let's just say that I think they kind of got robbed in the Bucks game off of that ridiculous roughing the passer call against Brady because the Falcons were in prime position to get the ball back with I think about two minutes left in that game against the Bucks but you take that roughing the passer penalty and it essentially ended the game But I was really surprised that they had that good of a performance against the 49ers last week. And it's like I said in the analysis, I think more than likely there's a good chance that they can carry that momentum going into the Cincy game. I just have too much faith in Cincy at this point. And I understand that they've had some issues on the offensive line. Uh, It continues to be a a repeating issue with the Bengals. They, They just can't seem to protect Joe very well at all. But even despite that, I just think that their offense is just too capable against 
that Falcons defense that I just have a little bit more faith in Cincy than I do Atlanta. It's like I said, I think if Atlanta runs the ball effectively, I think that gives them the best chance to win. And if they don't turn the ball over, I think that those two elements are key, but it could be a close game. Nonetheless, though, I don't think it's going to be a high scoring affair. And if it is not at all, if it is, I think Cincy ends up getting the majority of the points in that matchup, not the Falcons. I just don't have a lot of faith that the Falcons offense could put up, you know, 25, 30 points against Cincy. I just don't see that. So, I mean, with that said, we are going to transition to our next game, and that is going to be the Seattle Seahawks going up against the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Just to kind of give you guys an idea of where both teams stand at this current point in time, uh, Seattle is sitting at a 3-3 record. The Chargers are sitting at a 4-2 record. When you actually look at the Chargers, they are technically tied with the Chiefs in first place in the AFC West. When you look at the Seahawks, they are in a three-way tie right now. It will kind of depend on the Thursday night game. Actually, I take that back because the Cardinals are 2-4, and four, so scratch that. But the Seahawks are in a three-way tie for first place in the NFC West at a 3-3 three and three record. And, you know, looking at this game a couple weeks ago, kind of very similar to what I talked about with the Falcons and the Bengals game, this would have been a game that Kevin and I would have probably overlooked just because we would have thought that the Chargers would be head and shoulders above the Seahawks, but that is not the case here. Uh, the Seahawks have found ways to be a competitive force so far six weeks in. We'll see whether or not that they can continue that for the rest of the year. And the Chargers, I mean, let's face it, they are coming off of a pretty subpar performance against the Broncos on Monday Night Football last week. So granted, they may be sitting at a 4-2 record, but they are not as high flying as we originally anticipated going into this year. So this actually will make out to be a pretty decent contest uh, when it takes place on Sunday. So, Kevin, I know you're dejected about the Yankees game. I, I, I know. Don't worry about it. Just let it go, bro. They suck. Just let it go. Yeah, I know. But, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Seahawks going up against the Chargers this weekend in what's actually going to be, I think, a pretty compelling matchup, who do you think is going to get the dub and why? Believe it or not, I'm actually going to go with the Seahawks. Um, I think that Geno Smith has been balling on another level. I think he has overperformed everybody's expectations by a mile, uh, myself included. I think that even though they lost Rashad Penny, Kenneth Walker is going to assist in helping balance that team in terms of their rushing offense. And let's be honest, the Chargers defense has been subpar to no one's expectations. I mean, J.C. Jackson's got over 100%, excuse me, over a 100 passer rating when thrown towards him this season, which is a career high, which is just absolutely atrocious. You don't pay top corner money for him to play the way that he has. Uh, Joey Bosa's hurt. Khalil Mack has been getting doubled and triple teamed with the lack of a pass rush present in L.A. And then you go and you look at the offense last week, they haven't been able to move the ball effectively. Keenan Allen's been hurt for the last five weeks. Mike Williams has had maybe one or two games where he's looked exceptional. And then you go and you look at the rest of the supporting cast. Austin Eckler has days on and days off like anybody else. But Justin Herbert looks to be human this season. And I don't know if that's due to the injuries in the offensive line, even though he is the least sacked quarterback in the NFL. I believe before Monday night's game, he had only five sacks throughout six weeks. So I will say that, excuse me, through five weeks. And, uh, you know, I will say that that is very impressive for someone that lost an all pro caliber left tackle, but he is still taking the hits. He still got injured with the ribs. And obviously, like I said, the offense just seems completely out of sorts. And I think that truthfully, if the Broncos were a better football team, they would have lost that game embarrassingly because let's be honest, Russell Wilson missed a whole lot of throws in that second half. A lot of bad reads, a lot of bad decisions by Nathaniel Hackett in the play calling system that was over there in Denver. I think that 
LA escaped, especially because Dustin Hopkins was injured and they won the game solely on his leg, not because Justin Herbert did anything to win them and to get excuse me, not because they did anything. Justin Herbert did anything to win them that football game. So I'm going to go with Geno. I'm going to go with the the Seahawks. I I like the way that they run that offense. I love the way that they've been balanced in terms of pass and running the ball. I like the way that he's got chemistry with Lockett. DK Metcalf has good days and bad days, but Geno Smith, at the end of the day, he's playing well. He is throwing the ball above average. His completion percentage, if I'm not mistaken, leads the NFL. And he's got a great relationship with the tight end room and Luke Wilson and, of course, Noah Fant. So he knows his safety blankets, and he absolutely understands what it is that he needs to do. He doesn't need to throw the ball 50 yards down the field for them to win the game. But if he wants to go and he moves five, six, seven yards at a clip and they run the ball and continue to utilize the play action to keep the ball away from the other team, uh, I truly believe that that is the winning formula and successful formula for the Seahawks to continue to win. But yeah, I'll definitely take Seattle by a touchdown. I'll probably go somewhere along the lines of 28-21, maybe even like 24-17. I really think that the Chargers are going to begin to unravel because they are not what their record shows, and that has been displayed throughout the entirety of the season thus far. Well, when it comes to this matchup, I think it's going to be an interesting one. Um, I'm going to go the opposite way here. I am going to go with the Chargers. Uh, when I look back to that performance against the Chargers, uh, the, the, what the Chargers had last week against the Broncos, Kev, I think it's safe to say that even though the Denver's been playing really subpar football offensively, you cannot say that about the defense. Broncos, as far as their defense is concerned, is top-notch. And Absolutely. I think they proved it last week against the Chargers, forcing that game going into overtime, and then the Chargers getting a game-winning field goal to settle the difference. But, you know, I look at Seattle's defense and what the obstacles that the Chargers are going to be presented with this week, I don't think they're nearly as stout as what they had to contend with last week against Denver, just because, well, Kev, we could pull up the scores that Seattle's been giving up defensively, and I'll just kind of go off the list right here. So last week, I'm looking at what the Seahawks did. They gave up nine points to the Cardinals. The Cardinals have a relatively subpar offense. Granted, they didn't have DeAndre Hopkins for the first six weeks, so that definitely played a factor. And Kyler Murray has not necessarily played that good this year. But, you know, before that, they gave up 39 points to the Saints. They gave up 45 to the Lions. And they gave up 27 to the Falcons and the 49ers. So within that stretch, you take away the Cardinals game, they're giving up basically 30 points plus. And when I look at the Chargers offense, granted they are dinged up because Keenan Allen is not in the fold. I just think that the offensive weaponry that the Chargers have at their disposal is going to be too much for Seattle to handle. Just because I think when you look at Austin Eckler, for example, I think that, not, I was going to say Joe Burrow for a second. I was going to say Justin Herbert is really feeding him the ball quite effectively. And when you really kind of look at just his fantasy outputs by itself, you know, Austin Eckler is getting 25, 30 points consistently. And it's just based off the fact that Herbert's going to check it down to him. And you look at Eckler, he's able to extend plays with his feet, able to break a couple tackles, and able to stretch drives for the Chargers here. I would like to see Mike Williams get a little bit more integrated into the offense just because last week he got shut down by Denver's defense. And I think when it comes to Herbert and the offensive strategy that the coaching staff is going to implement this week, I think they're going to make it a point of emphasis. We got to get Mike Williams the ball. We got to get him into some situations where he can win those one-on-one battles and make the most of it because Mike Williams got that huge contract extension. He's got to live up to it now, especially with Keenan Allen out of the fold until he recovers from his hamstring issue. 
he's got to be that number one receiver until Keenan Allen comes back. And I do expect that he's going to have a relatively solid day against what I would consider a weakened Seattle defense and especially a, a weak Seattle secondary as far as I see it. And I think, you know, when it comes to the Chargers offensively, they got to be able to run the ball effectively. Last week, they did not do that against Denver. I think when you look back to the output that Sonny Michelle and Austin Eckler had, they were only getting about three yards per carry. And I think as a team, they only rushed for 75 yards, maybe even less. So I think there's definitely going to be some opportunities here to learn from the mistakes of last week going up against Denver and really, you know, making it a point of emphasis to run the ball effectively, get that ball to Mike Williams, and if all else, you know, check it down to Austin Eckler, maybe Josh Palmer as well. You know, the Chargers do have weapons to go to here. You know, this offense is pretty solid without Keenan Allen. Obviously, it would be better with Allen in the fold. But I just can't bank on the Seattle defense. And I understand that Geno Smith has been having a great season so far. And I think there's a very good chance that he's going to be able to put up points against this. Albeit surprising weak secondary of the Chargers. I think it's been quite shocking seeing how bad J.C. Jackson has played since coming on. Uh, Derwin James has been hit or miss. He, he did have that nice sack against Russell Wilson last week. But the Chargers are giving up points, and I do believe that Geno Smith and that Seattle offense is going to be able to put up points here. It just depends on how much. But I think Geno's going to have maybe a turnover or two in this game. I know that he's been playing relatively solid, but I think this is one of those games where he's going to take some chances, and I think the Chargers are going to take advantage of it. And I definitely see the Chargers making the most of that in return by putting points on the board for themselves. So as far as I see it, I got the Chargers winning this one. I do think it will be a one-position game. I got the Chargers winning this one 31-24. Could be a relatively high-scoring game just because I think both offenses are going to be able to move the ball effectively against the respective defenses that they're going up against. But I think the Chargers just find a way to gut this one out and move the 5-2 and two on the season. I think it's going to be a great game. Um, I'm hoping that it is a shootout. I really do. I just want to see an exciting game. I mean, Geno's putting up numbers that, again, nobody saw coming. I would like Justin Herbert to return to form. But I don't know what it is. Either I don't have faith in him necessarily. I don't know if it's because Keenan Allen is not there or because they've just been playing tougher opponents. I'm not going to sit here and judge. But I do think that for whatever reason... Seattle might kick it into second gear, man. I know that they're not the greatest defensive team in the league, and I'm not saying that this is going to be the week that they decide to wake up. But if this was the week, I would not be surprised because they're in a better position than pretty much the entire NFL predicted or would have predicted. And yeah. I really like the way that Geno's slinging it. I can't lie. No, it, I mean, we had a video uh, talking about Geno Smith just a couple of weeks ago about how I think that Seattle's probably getting the better end of the deal of the Russell trade. Uh, just because I know that Gino wasn't involved in that trade. It's just that as far as the quarterback play between Gino and Russell Wilson so far this year, Gino's been the better quarterback. But, you know, when I look at the Chargers specifically, you know, when they've been going up against relatively weak defenses, and that's despite the fact Keenan Allen's not in the fold, they've still done relatively well. A couple of weeks ago, they played the Texans. They scored 34 points. When you look back to the Browns game um, two weeks ago, they put up 30. It was a relatively close game, and people were actually surprised that that game was as close as it was. But nonetheless, they still put up 30. Now, I, I still believe that the injury issue with Justin's ribs is going to be something that we have to continue to monitor throughout the year. But I think at this point, I think it's just going to be the Justin Herbert show for the foreseeable future just because 
if they're not able to run the ball effectively with Austin Eckler or Sony Michelle, that that basically means that most of the pressure is going to be on Justin's shoulders. And with him already dinged up this year, I don't know if that's necessarily going to continue, but I mean, they're sitting at four and two. They're tied with the Chiefs for first place in the AFC West. So despite the issues that they've been going through, they're still in a relatively good spot, dude. I mean, no, they I are. I, I just lie. I don't like I don't like how their offense, I think, broke an NFL record with, I think, 17 or something. There's a certain consecutive amount of games, which is an absurd amount, where Justin Herbert has attempted 30-plus passing attempts. That's not necessary, at least in my professional opinion. And by professional, I mean my personal opinion, because obviously we're not pros or anything. But, dude, you're you're literally throwing the ball 30-plus times for however many games in a row— that goes to show you're putting a lot of pressure on your quarterback, your young quarterback, your developing quarterback. And that's showing that you may be a little too overconfident. Maybe you're not giving Eckler enough touches. Maybe you're not having a balanced offensive attack. Maybe you're not able to keep the ball for long-winded possessions to give your defense rest. I don't know. There's a number of different things you can look at. But I do not like the fact that they are overly aggressive on the offensive side of the ball. It seems that that head coach, I think it's Staley, right? I can look Something it up like right that. here. Give me a second. I'll he, look it up. He always goes for it on fourth down, kind of similar to what the freaking Lions did against the Patriots the other day, 0 for 6, which is, what, two, three weeks ago. Uh, but he is always known, since he's become the head coach of the Chargers, to be very aggressive on the offensive side, which I can respect, but at the same time, you got to know when to be aggressive and when to kind of kick it back. Yeah, and I think if we look back to that game against the, the Broncos a couple of days ago, I think Justin Herbert threw the ball 57 times in that game. Not necessary, bro. I think he's actually the first player in NFL history to throw for like 55-plus attempts and not have a touchdown and win the game. So it, it really is Weird. quite it, it's quite surprising how much they are relying on Justin Herbert to be able to essentially carry this team offensively just because, I mean, look, I mean, the offense could carry you so far. They, you know... Thank God for them that their defense actually stepped up in that second half because the first half, I'd say Russell in that Denver offense looked pretty solid in that first half on the road. And then in the second yeah, half, it just... For sure. You could definitely tell that the Chargers made some adjustments and effectively shut down Russ in that offense. But no, I have the coach's name. It is uh, Brandon Staley. That's the guy's Staley, name. okay. So, no, I mean, overall, it, it, they're doing enough to win. Is this a sustainable way of winning? I don't think so. I think they're going to have to get they're going to have to get a better effort in the run game. So they're going to have to open up some run lanes for Eckler for Sony Michelle when he gets touches. Because as of right now, it just seems like that Chargers offense is a little bit too one dimensional as far as I see it. And I think it's I think it's pretty safe to say, just based on how things have planned out so far with the Chargers. But they're sitting at a four two record. They're tied with the Chiefs. So. It's worked out nonetheless for them. So we'll see what happens for the rest of the year. But overall, you know, I, I got the Chargers winning on this one against the Seahawks. But with that said, yep. But with that said, we're going to transition to our last game of mention for week seven. It's probably the biggest game on the week seven slate this weekend. And that is going to be the Chiefs and the 49ers. Uh, to give you guys a quick summary of where both teams stand, the Chiefs are sitting at a 4-2 and two record. The 49ers are sitting at a 3-3 three and three record. The Chiefs are coming off of a pretty tough home loss to the Bills last week in what was arguably probably the biggest game that we've seen this season so far. Uh, it was a back-and-forth game. 
but Patrick Mahomes ended it getting picked off with about 50 seconds left in the game and effectively ended it. But overall, you know, the Chiefs were competitive in that game. They just fell a little bit short in that one. When you look at San Francisco, uh, they had a pretty surprising loss to the Falcons last week. They lost that game by two touchdowns. The 49ers going into that game, they were on a hot streak since Jimmy G was in the fold. That team had been humming offensively. Really, just the entire team had been humming altogether. But it kind of came crashing back down to earth against the Falcons last week, where they only put up 14 points offensively and almost gave up 30 points defensively to the Falcons. So look at both teams right now. They're definitely trying to get back into the win column after losing both of their games in week six last week. And I think this has the potential to be one of the best games that we'll see uh, going into week seven. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, in probably what is the biggest game of week seven, we got the Chiefs and the 49ers. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? This is going to be the best game of the weekend, in my personal opinion, and I don't really have much to say other than that. I mean, honestly, I think that the 49ers are going to have to bounce back. They don't have a choice. They played a piss-poor performance against what looked to be a bad team at the beginning of this season. They found a way to turn it around and become competitive throughout the rest of the year so far in Atlanta, and they just got pretty much embarrassed in Atlanta. They were on the road. They couldn't really get it together, couldn't get into a rhythm. I know it started off good with two touchdowns to Ayuk, but for whatever reason, this team just folded, and Atlanta looked to be unstoppable on the offensive side of the ball. So the 49ers' defense was suspect, to say the least. Now, Nick Bosa is questionable for a return. If he comes into this game, it's a game changer. I will also note Trent Williams is questionable. If he returns to be the blindside protector of Jimmy, that also changes this entire game. So I'm looking at this and saying this kind of hinders on the availability of two of the best players on this team and, of course, the overall mindset that they're going to have to, I guess, snap back into prior to losing to Atlanta. Now, on the Chiefs side, they got a little payback from Buffalo last week, and they got a little bit of a, a stinging feeling to say, damn, we had that game, and, and Pat made a mistake, which is very few in terms of total of the season. Uh, hasn't really turned the ball over much. Uh, aside from, you know, it's crazy, kind of critical situations. He turned the ball over to lose the game against the Colts, and then he turned the ball over to lose the game against the Bills, so it's kind of becoming a trending thing. Hopefully he's able to break out of that. But the Chiefs' defense has been solid as well this year in spurts, but I will say that the Chiefs are going to win this game. I think that the Chiefs' defense is going to have to step it up and go after Jimmy G. I feel like they have the capability and the personnel to limit the offense. Now, I will say if they're unable to slow the run game down with Jeff Wilson, I think that this game could pose to be a very big problem for Kansas City, and that could lead them to fall into four and three and the Chargers potentially catapulting into, you know, uh, the division leader spot. But nevertheless, I'm going to go with Kansas City. I think that Patrick Mahomes is the better quarterback in this instance. I think that they have the better offense in this instance. And I also think that they're also going to have a similar chip, just like the 49ers. But because that game was so close, because it was within reach, and because Patrick Mahomes was the sole reason that that game ended up falling out of reach because he threw that late game interception, I think that he is going to have one of those Patrick Mahomes games. I'm not saying he's going to go for five touchdowns to 500 yards, but if you were to go for about 350 to 375, two to three touchdowns, I think they get the run game in order. I think that they get Edwards Hilaire involved, and this team potentially could go and embarrass San Francisco back-to-back -back weeks. Now, I will go and play devil's advocate once again, like I tend to do in a lot of these predictions, and say that the flip side can also be Jimmy G wakes up. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, that whole offense decides to click, and they completely fuck up Kansas City's mindset and saying, damn, we were this close last week. And now we're getting run off of our own home field this week. Oh, no, actually, San Francisco's home this week. Excuse me. I forgot. 
So I'm going Kansas City. I think it's going to be a tough one, potentially ending in a game winner. Uh, I think it could end up being somewhere along the lines of 35-28 or maybe even 28-24, something around that magnitude. Uh, I know that I said that Pat's going to have a good game, but you know I wouldn't be surprised if Jimmy, combined with Jeff Wilson and Kyle Shanahan, how they run that offense. I think it could be a very, very good game, but I have Kansas City winning in a close one. Yeah, Kev, I'm really kind of split on this one. I could really see either team winning. I'm going to play devil's advocate in this case against you on this one. I'm actually going to go with the 49ers here. And I think it really just has simply to do with the fact that the 49ers got embarrassed last week. I, I don't really think that there's any other way to put it. You know, to only put up 14 points on the board against the Falcons was kind of a surprising result. And now that they're coming back home, they have a really big challenge going up against the Chiefs. And I think that they're going to be able to rise to the occasion here. But it's like I said, I think that there's going to be a very good chance that both teams are going to be able to come out on top here. But since I picked the 49ers, I'm going to stick with them. I think the reason why, or the reasons why I should say, that they're going to win this game is that they're going to heavily rely on their defense to slow down Patrick Mahomes and that high-flying Chiefs offense. And I think if you look at the 49ers, I think they're going to take what the Falcons did to them last week, and they're going to apply that to the Chiefs this weekend in owning time of possession. Because when I look at the 49ers last week, the Falcons were able to effectively own that time of possession and essentially did what the 49ers were really good at, being able to run the ball effectively, chewing clock, and not only getting field goals, but getting touchdowns. And I think when I look at the 49ers here, I love what they do with Jeff Wilson out of the backfield. They utilize Devo Samuel out of the backfield as well. So I think there's going to be a very, very big emphasis on the 49ers running the ball against that Chiefs defense, not because that they're going to be able to just you know, run 15, 20 yards per carry, and they're going to score touchdowns really quick. I think their point of emphasis is the longer that we're just chewing up clock, it means that Patrick Mahomes stays on the sideline and he has to watch the 49ers do what they got to do. And I think that's going to be the winning formula here for the 49ers. I think they're going to rely on Jimmy G at times to really step up and get these third down conversions to extend drives. And then when it comes to their run game, you know, get three or four yards per carry, be able to move those chains effectively and put points up on the board. I think their biggest challenge, though, is going to come defensively. Just because, look, you know, Patrick Holmes is definitely one of the MVP considerations seven weeks into the year. He's definitely played up to it. And this 49ers defense got exposed last week to what I would contend is a inferior team against the Falcons. The Falcons are three and three. I'll give them their credit there. But I think going into that matchup, I, I, I believe that the 49ers were head and shoulders above the Falcons. And I just think they really kind of played down to their competition last week. I don't think that's going to be the case here. I think the 49ers are going to play up or above their competition in this one. And I think they're, they're going to be able to slow down that Chiefs offense enough. I think they're going to focus on slowing down Juju, focus on slowing down... Um, Marcus Valdez Scanling, just because if they're able to hone those guys in when it comes to Patrick looking at options outside of Travis Kelsey, I think that'll be a working formula because you look at what the Bills did last week to Marcus Valdez Scanling, he was a no show. Didn't have any catches. Juju definitely got most of the targets. And I think the Bills defense kind of let that just be what it is, just because, you know, Marcus can't take the top off of a defense, but they'll let Juju kind of do his thing. And if he makes his yards underneath, you know, five to 10 yard routes, so be it. I think the 49ers may kind of let that same thing happen. And as long as 
those 49ers defenders are able to contend with Travis Kelsey. I'm not saying shut him down, but slow him down to maybe only five, six catches, maybe 70 to 70 yards receiving. I think that's something that the 49ers can look at and think of as a positive when it's all said and done. And if they're able to force turnovers against Pat, I think that's absolutely crucial. And we saw that last week against the Bills where he had two turnovers. He had two interceptions. And I think that there's a very good chance that this 49ers defense can do a very similar performance as what the Bills did last week. Because mind you, the 49ers and the Bills basically had the best defense going into those games last week. The Bills did their thing against Patrick and that KC offense. Now we'll see whether or not the 49ers can rise to that same challenge, knowing how good their defense is. And I think that they'll be able to do that. And if they're able to add some pass rushes in there, I think that will serve them well. But man, when it comes to this game, I think it's going to be a nail biter. I think it's going to come down to maybe the last possession or two. But I think when it's all said and done, I'm going to give the edge to the 49ers in this one. I think they'll just squeak by in this one. Very similar to what the Bills did against the Chiefs last week. It's not easy beating KC. And it's very difficult to beat KC in back-to-back weeks. So the 49ers are definitely going to have a full plate here. But I think when it's all said and done, I think the 49ers win this one by the score of, I'm going to say like 21-17. to I think that 49ers defense is really going to come up to snuff here. And I think they're going to be able to effectively hold Patrick Mahomes and that offense to under 20 points. That's just how I see it. It's going to be a good game nonetheless. Once again, another terrible decision to put this game at 4 o'clock. Another oh. back-to-back week yeah. of games that should be primetime games that have unfortunately been dictated to be earlier in the afternoon. I don't know who makes the schedules. I don't know how the schedules are made, but this is a crock. These are games that need to be shifted and moved because if I'm not mistaken, the Sunday night game for this freaking week is something that I don't think anybody really cares about to be completely honest i think it's like hold on a second because now now my screen wants to refresh and all this crap i'm looking at this and i'm saying like i know what i'm talking about what we got sunday night is gonna be the steelers and dolphins like who the yeah who wants to watch that yeah it's it's not even worth it i don't i don't really understand it i don't get it but here you know i'm just a random guy with a microphone the the monday night is the patriots and bears game kind of a dud as far as i see it so yeah it's just what what are you gonna do bro what are you gonna do we ain't gonna do nothing we're gonna still watch the game anyway i mean for the most part i know you gotta watch monday night because that's your boys but might fall asleep to it I, i mean a dub's a dub they got to get it. Yeah. I mean, Justin Fields has shown that he could have potential in some instances. He could but do that enough. team looks like a hot mess. He could do it enough. So, I, I mean, it was kind of funny because I looked at the NFL power rankings that they put out weekly. And they had them like the bottom. And they're actually not too bad as far as their record is. It's just kind of funny that uh, I saw the same thing, bro. I saw the same thing. Rizzo striking out. So yeah, no. Yeah, no. So, who would have thought a three-run home run would be the decider in the first inning? You guys had, like... Third, eight, third inning, I think, Sevy gave it. Oh, third inning. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, that's when, that that's was, when I, I stopped watching. That's when I, that's when I turned the, the game off. Uh, I see. Yeah, it is the third. I thought it was in the first, but whatever. That's um, what it is. Yeah. I, yeah, but I look back to that, that, uh, that Monday night game. I think it's going to be a snooze fest, but overall... You know, I think that 49ers-Chiefs game is going to be a fun one. 
And I, it's, I just wish it was a primetime game, like you said. I definitely believe. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. But with that said, we're going to transition to our NBA topics. And it's I, back. I, I know Kevin's been waiting for this one just because... Uh, he gets to go out of his way to uh, criticize his favorite player in the NBA, and that is one, one of one of oh one of one of you know you know I like me some James Har- James Harden too you know I love I love those boys they're my favorite yeah James Harden actually he's been he's been all right so far this year he's been doing I can't his thing. say anything wrong he's been doing all right thirty points back to back games but we'll see what happens come playoff time like always well let's kind of dive into this Ben Simmons drama as. Kev likes to call it at this point. But um, yeah, we'll just kind of do a quick uh, run up here. Um, when we look at the Nets as a whole, uh, they're at an 0-1 record to start the year. Uh, they effectively got smacked by the New Orleans Pelicans, giving up 130 points in a 22-point loss. And, you know, despite the fact that I thought Kevin Durant had a relatively solid game, he dropped 32 points. Um, safe to say that Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons did not necessarily have the best games. Kyrie only dropped 15 points in 34 minutes. Ben Simmons had four points in 23 minutes of play. Also fouled out in that game as well. And for his debut going into this year, I think it was safe to say that Ben Simmons had an underwhelming performance. I know Kev may have a lot more to say than that, but I'll just kind of characterize it as that before we transition into the question. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, how would you describe Ben Simmons' debut with the Nets going back to that Pelicans game? Atrocious. There's no other word for it. You had an entire season off last year. You had your back surgery. You got your mental health days. You went out there and you and you forced your way to, to getting off of Philadelphia and being excited to be playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the coaching staff and all the stuff that you hyped up. You told your teammates you were going to play in the playoffs, and then you turned out, it turns out you didn't. And now we're talking about an entire new season you're fresh, you're healthy, you're in a whole new organization, you're starting the season off where you want it to be. Now, before I get any further, I'm going to give kudos. The Pelicans are no joke. I know it is game one, but if Zion stays healthy, we all know that B.I. and Brandon Ingram is an, just an elite basketball player. If C.J. McCollum can play good, solid minutes, averaging anywhere from 23, uh, 20 to 23 points a game, and Valanchunas gets those rebounds, I really think that this team could contend for a playoff spot. Now, going back to the Brooklyn Nets, how do you have three all-stars. We all know that Ben has the potential to be an all-star for defensive capabilities alone. And because he is a six foot 10 mismatch in terms of ball handling distribution. And of course, like I just alluded to on the defensive side, outside of KD going 11 to 21 for 32 points, where, 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 where were the rest of this team? You had Patty Mills backing everybody up with 16 points as the next leading scorer after Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving, 6 of 19, completely unacceptable. We got one of the Morris brothers, three points. What are we... I am like at a loss because everybody continues to hype up this team. Year in and year out, they have depth, they have this, they have KD, they have Kyrie, now they have Ben Simmons. And I tried to give them some props last season because I thought that the trade was going to make them better defensively, which is one aspect in which they struggled. 
point A, this freaking first game, 130 points they allowed, and Ben Simmons doesn't even make it to basically the third quarter. There's 12 minutes in each quarter, guys. He didn't even make it two, two quarters worth. 23 minutes, four points, a minus 26 and a plus minus scale, and you foul out. Ben Simmons is on the thinnest sheet of ice you could possibly be on. He's owed $35 plus million this season. He already has a bad reputation, leaving salt in people's mouths as to what he's done in terms of how he ended his relationship in Philadelphia, how he handled the media, how he handled the situation last year. And you are one of the most paid, if not one of the highest paid players at your position at 6'10", playing point guard. Again, it's just a very weird situation in and of itself, but that's neither here nor there also. Ben Simmons has the shortest leash possible. Ben Simmons cannot afford to fuck up this season. He's got all the pressure in the world, 10 times more pressure than he had in Philly because of how he exited, just like James Harden did, the same exact situation. You cannot sit here and tell me $35 million gets you four points and getting fouled out of game one. They can't, you, you can't sit here and say one of the best perimeter defenders in the league goes negative 26 in the plus-minus scale. You cannot tell me a guy that's worth $35 million isn't even going to make it past half time. I don't know why I was about to say half court. I have no words. I cannot begin to fathom how much frustration I have for Nets fans because it's just like you literally go and trade the entire world for a guy that's supposed to take you to that next step, a guy that you thought was going to assist you in the weakest category like I had stated at the beginning of the segment, which is the defensive side. You need to be better. There's no more excuses. The back's not hurting. The mental health is healthy. You've been reassuring the media all offseason that you're fine and ready to go and excited to play, and then this is what you put out. I don't want to hear it's game one. I don't want to hear he's got to shake off the rust. Bro, you're six fucking ten. You are a walking asinine matchup for anybody that's in front of you because you have the ball handling skills of a true point guard. You just can't shoot. Why do you not have 10 assists? Why do you not have 10 boards? Why do you not have three steals? Why is your plus minus so bad? Why did you foul out? Do you have no discipline? Did you forget how to play basketball? Did you forget that you're supposed to be one of the better defenders in the league? Or did you just check out like you checked out of Philly? Because it's just, it's just not a good look. This is the game where you're supposed to make a statement. This is the game where you're supposed to say, I'm going to be a Brooklyn Net. I'm here for the long haul. I'm not asking for 30, 40 points. But Jesus Christ, four? This is all you can provide for $35 million? For all the assets that Brooklyn gave up, man, you're making the front office of the Nets look like a bunch of idiots. Ben Simmons needs to ship up or ship out. This is it. If he fucks up this season again, I don't even know if this man makes another competitive roster for the remainder of his career. Well, I think we have to preface one thing. He didn't foul out in the first half. He played 23 minutes. I know he minutes. didn't. I'm, I, I know. I'm just, it's 23 yeah. minutes is literally less time than there is in the first half. Yeah. I'm, I just, I don't want it to get misconstrued that he got fouled yeah. out in the first My half. My apologies. He, yeah. He, he fouled out in the fourth quarter with like nine minutes left. But no, Kevin, I mean, as far as the sentiment is concerned, I'm with you. Um, when it comes to Ben Simmons, he's kind of a toss up. You don't really know what you're going to get from him night in and night out. But when I look at Ben, I, I think there's some definite positives that we could look at when it comes to this season i mean i could look at one game and just say oh yeah like you know it's just all doom and gloom and you know that's what it should be with him i don't really necessarily see that as his case but you know one of the things i'm going to be looking at or a few things i should say when it comes to ben simmons this year is how effective is he going to be within the chemistry of what the nets have i mean obviously 
the two main pieces that they have as far as just the focal pieces of the team, you got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. What is Ben going to live up to? Is he going to be that third guy that Katie and Kyrie can rely upon to get them farther than what they did last year? Because let's say, you know, the Nets made the playoffs this year. If they find themselves into a top four seed, is it going to be because, you know, Ben really kind of took a big step forward this year, not only with shooting the basketball, but playing great defense, facilitating the basketball. Like these are things that we're going to have to kind of monitor throughout the year, because I think the only way that the Nets are going to be a competitive team this year, outside of just what Katie and Kyrie are going to provide in night in and night out, Ben's got to be there. Ben's got to make at three piece, as far as him being the third piece of this unit, he's got to be a focal piece here because if he's not, I think the Nets are going to relatively struggle. Like you said, Kev, he definitely helps out on the defensive side of the ball for them. And I think if he plays up to snuff, I think he could definitely be a factor here. It's just, I think when we look at the Nets though, I think the one thing that they're going to struggle at is they're going to struggle down low. They're going to struggle down low in the paint because they just don't have the pieces to really defend against top tier centers or top tier power forwards in the league. We saw that night one against the Pelicans where, you know, Zion was able to get down to the baseline pretty easily and get some easy shots up relatively without any sort of issue whatsoever, as far as what Brooklyn was presenting them defensively. So, you know, when it looks, when it looks like, you know, Ben Simmons is going to get into a rhythm, hopefully that's the case. You know, hopefully he turns out to be a decent piece for them moving forward because if he isn't, man, that's a lot of burnt money as far as I see it. You know, $35 million a year. And if he looks like anything in what he looked like in his last year with Philly, I think the Nets are going to have a relatively tough year. But if he doesn't, if he has a relatively solid year, I think it'll be a big reason why I think the Nets could be potentially a top four seed in the Eastern Conference. But I think they got their work they got their work cut out for them as far as I'm concerned. I think they're really going to struggle down low defensively. And I think they're going to rely too much on Kyrie and KD to score. And you tie in the other factors of, you know, if Ben shows up, great. If he doesn't, it's definitely going to hurt the team. I just don't know if they have the requisite pieces to go up against top tier teams like the 76ers, the Bucks. You could say the Celtics as well. Maybe the Heat. You know, those are the teams that they're going to have to contend with this year. And if they can't de- defend the paint, they're going to be in some trouble. But hopefully, hopefully Ben can you know shake off this first game performance and get back into a groove where you know he puts up ten to fifteen points, gets around seven or eight assists, and forces some steals. I think that's the reason why that Brooklyn brought him in the first place, and we got to see whether or not that that can transpire going into the rest of the year with Ben. If he plays up to snuff, Kyrie can focus on his point mm-hmm. scoring. He doesn't have to distribute. Ben Simmons can pass the ball. We all know that. Ben Simmons can rebound. We know that. And if Ben Simmons can turn this around, we know that he's a great defender. If you can just alleviate some of the pressure off of the other two superstars, this team with the cast that they have, I'm not saying it's going to win the finals, but they can make the playoffs and maybe even make it out of the first round. Ben needs to do his role. Ben needs to play his part. He is no longer the second fiddle to the Joel Embiid. He's no longer the guy that has to go out there and give you 20 to 25 points. Can he? Absolutely. Maybe if he develops a jump shot, which I doubt will ever happen in his entire career because I hate his work ethic, 
I, I think that he can be an absolute asset to this team in the ways that is necessary. Increasing the assist output, lessening the turnovers, lessening the defensive output that this team allows on the regular night in and night out basis. But until he decides to wake up and realize his potential and stop thinking that the world is his world and he needs to be handed everything like a child, I don't think that this is going to work out. We already have issues with KD and Kyrie, both of them having their offseason problems of wanting trades. We do not need a third narrative in Brooklyn on top of maybe even a potential fourth one with Steve Nash on the hot seat. This organization has enough distractions, and I don't think that they need another one in Ben Simmons. No, and I think that's fair. It's just I think a lot rides on Ben Simmons and his total effectiveness just because if he's not effective, man, this team is going to be in trouble. You know, and... and that's despite the fact that they have KD and Kyrie and some of the baggage that they dealt with off season with both of them. So, you know, what are we going to get here? You know, is this going to be a team that's going to be able to compete effectively against top tier teams in the Eastern conference? Or is this a team that's going to barely scrape by into the playoffs? Facts. I think at this point, I mean, I'm leery on them being a top tier force in the Eastern conference. I, I just don't see it. I didn't think I they agree. can make the playoffs. But, I mean, what sort of capacity are we talking about? We're talking, like, fifth seed or, like, the eighth seed, like, where they barely get in. Eastern Conference is a competitive conference, not like it has been in the past. So if they don't turn it around, they might be looking at another play-in opportunity. But, again, it's game one. We're not going to look yeah. too far into the playoffs. It's just a matter of Ben Simmons. We needed to get that out there because he just played so poorly in the first opening night that it just – it didn't bode well for a lot of people in the media. It didn't bode well for him either in his camp. So I'll leave it at that. This next segment, we got to go into my boy Kyle's team. They have not been some. <laughs> they have not been in the news for a lot of good things between obviously hiring a new coach, the uh, Russell Westbrook trades, the roster being horribly constructed, and so on and so forth. And then you go and you add game one and the performance they went on to put out against the defending champion Golden State Warriors. Kyle, what are your thoughts on how the Ra the Lakers performed in opening night, and what do you think that that means for this team moving forward? Well, I think the Lakers are, at best, a subpar basketball team. And, look, I mean, I'm always going to be a Lakers fan, and I'm just putting, out, I'm putting this out there objectively. I just don't think that they're going to be a competitive force in the Western Conference. And I, I understand, you know, right now, LeBron James is healthy. Anthony Davis is healthy. Now, Russ had an injury, so I believe he had a hamstring pull uh, in that game. So there's already some issues with Russell Westbrook and their head coach, Ham, who there's already been some rumblings about whether or not that, you know, Russell should have been put out in that last preseason game. They put him out there, and then Russell was of the mindset that that hamstring pull that he suffered against the Warriors played into a factor um, in that Warriors game. You know, we'll see how they're able to adjust from that, but definitely kind of off to a rocky start with the relationship between Ham and Westbrook at this point in time. We'll see whether or not that could be resolved. I just don't have a lot of faith in the Lakers this year just because here's how I see this season playing out. At some point, Anthony Davis is going to get hurt. It's not a matter of if, it's when, and for how long is he going to be out. When you look at history, he's going to miss probably at least a minimum of 25 to 30 games. And, I mean, outside of the one year that they won the championship, they won uh, the finals in the bubble against the Heat, haven't been able to really rely on him in any significant in any significant capacity 
for more than maybe 55 to 60 games. Like that's it. That's pretty much what you're you're gonna get from him. Just because he lands on somebody's ankles wrong, he's gonna be out four to six weeks. Or if he gets checked by somebody, he's out for two to three weeks. It's just he's a very brittle player and his availability is always a question. And I think that's something that we're gonna have to monitor this year because I think it's gonna happen once again where he's gonna miss a significant period of time. And then when you tie that into the um the Lakers as a whole, it's going to come down to LeBron and Westbrook being able to effectively work out this offense. And I just don't necessarily see that being the case. Russell had a relatively good game in game one, but he ended up getting hurt. It's just, you know, I think at a certain point, it's just LeBron's going to have to carry the load here and he's going to go have, he's going to have to go out there and average probably 30 points a game, probably get at least 10 to 12 rebounds a game and probably somewhere around seven or eight assists. He's basically going to have to go out there and average a triple-double for the Lakers to be a competitive force this season. I just don't believe that to be the case. And not only that, when you could look back to the Warriors game, for example, their bench got destroyed. I understand that Kendrick Nunn finally got an appearance. I think he dropped uh, in double digits. I think he had 13 points. So they got a good number from him. But outside of that, it was a relatively weak performance from their bench. And when you look at the Warriors, they just have a better bench depth pretty much across the board. Jordan Poole was nice. They had DiVincenzo come off the bench. Like, the Warriors have a really solid unit off their bench. And, and I haven't even really mentioned their starters yet. Like, you know, Steph did his thing. I thought Clay Thompson was effective. I thought that Andrew Wiggins was effective. It's just that, like, the Warriors have a cohesive unit here that I think could really contend for another finals appearance. And you look at the Lakers the Lakers are going to relatively struggle because outside of LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook, they don't really have any reliable pieces here. You could look at Patrick Beverly as somebody who's scrappy, who's going to play just a gritty style of play and play solid defense, but he's a relatively, I would say, he's not really capable of knocking down shots consistently where he's going to get you 15, 20 points. It's not going to happen. Lonnie Walker's the same way. Very athletic, but... He's not somebody that I could rely on to get, you know, shooting 50% for the field and 10, 15 points a game. Then when you look at their bench, they have Austin Reeves, Kendrick Nunn. They have Juan Toscano Anderson. I mean, they have some bench players here, but it's just relatively weak. You know, I just don't see the Lakers being that viable of a team. You know, despite the fact that they have LeBron James, who's almost getting into his 40s at this point. He's not that far away from it. And I just think at this point, he's carrying too much of a burden for this team to be relevant. And I think he's going to fall short in that regard. So overall, you know, I look back to this Lakers-Warriors game. I think it's going to be a microcosm of what the Lakers are going to have to contend with this entire season. They're going to contend with getting run off the court by other teams just because the Lakers are old. And a lot of these teams in the Western Conference, they're young. And they're not afraid of the Lakers. Not they're not afraid. They're not afraid of LeBron anymore. So as far as I see it, I think the Lakers are going to have a really tough uphill battle this year. If they make the playoffs, man, it'll be by the skin of their teeth. And at worst, you know they're going to finish as like the eleventh or twelfth seed in the Western Conference. And I think injuries are going to play a major factor in that because a lot of these guys are getting old, especially with Russ AD, Russ AD, and LeBron. So. Yeah, it's not looking rosy for the Lakers this year as far as I see it. Yeah, there's not really much else I can tack on to that just because Kyle already made all the points and I don't really want to 
stress on that, especially as I have to mentally prepare myself for the next segment. So we're going to move on and move forward. Uh, obviously, the Lakers, as a, as a unit, have a lot to work on. Um, as an organization, they have to make a decision on what they're going to do. There are just so many trade rumors that are potentially looming in the next couple of months. So we will see if anything changes. But as of right now, I'd say the Lakers 100% don't look good. I mean, I was in the mindset that they should have thought about training LeBron this offseason. Blow this whole thing up. Because, I mean, I'm a Lakers fan. Like, I could see that the writing was already on the wall for this team. This team is not competitive in any way, shape, or form. And, I mean, if you're in the front office position, I mean, granted, I mean, it might be, like, career suicide if you think about pondering a LeBron trade. But it's like you have to look at the future of the team. This team is not competitive. Now, granted, they played the Warriors. We'll see what happens. They're playing the Clippers. Could they be a competitive team? Maybe, but I highly doubt it. You know, I, I think that you could definitely make a case that trading LeBron would have been probably a smarter move to make this offseason to just start what is already inevitable. The Lakers are not going to be that competitive in the Western Conference. There's too many good teams. So I think that their mindset should be focused on the future here. And I think they should have started it this past offseason instead of kicking the can down the road for a year or two with this LeBron thing. But I'm not in their position. They have confidence in him to lead that team. So be it. I think it's going to fall tremendously short of their expectations, though, because I don't think it's going to work out for them in the long run. And then, Yeah, they just traded big quarters. Uh, Clippers went for 35 points in the first quarter. The Lakers went for 33 points in the second quarter. So it's tied 56 apiece at half. AD and Braun have a combined 27 points between the two of them. So, I mean, Lonnie Walker's playing solid. He's got 12 uh, coming. Not He's not even off the bench, starting at the, at starting. the two or the three. Yeah, he's starting. So, you know, not terrible. So, I mean, I'll give them whatever credit they have to. But Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi Leonard is on a minute restriction right now. So, It's just, can these guys be consistent? And when right. it comes to guys like Lonnie Walker or Austin Reeves or Juan Toscano Anderson, I just, maybe spurts, that's it. But consistently throughout the year, I just don't see it. I don't see then, it either, yeah. You factor in the injury bug with Anthony Davis, now Russell Westbrook, and LeBron's probably going to miss time too. At some point, LeBron's going to miss time because of some injury. So I just don't see it. You know, I look at the Golden State Warriors, man. I, now granted, it is game one. But man, the way that they facilitate the ball, the way they distribute the basketball, it's it's a night and day difference you know, with them compared to the Lakers, they're head and shoulders above them as far as I see it. So, Excellent. I mean, the Warriors are in a really good position here. And the fact that they were able to re-sign Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins, bro, that's huge. Like their core is set for the next three to four years. Like they're straight. Now it just no depends joke. on whether, it depends on whether or not what they want to do with Draymond. I think Draymond's out after this year. I couldn't agree I, more. I, I think the only way they bring him back is on some sort of, you know, I won't say like a veteran minimum deal, but it's going to have to be a pretty cheap contract for Golden State to carry on. Cause and he's not taking a cut, so that's why I think he's for sure gone. I know I, he knows his worth, and I know he knows what he means to the team, but unless he lessens that number, like you said, significantly, there's no way they're going to be I, A, I, be able to afford him, and B, are going to want to tolerate his shenanigans I, anymore. Yeah, I actually kind of made a mistake in that TikTok video when I talked about Draymond last week. I I mentioned that he was kind of like their version of Thabo Cephalosha. I think that's actually kind of a mischaracterization. 
if anything, he actually is more representative of Ben Simmons because what's Draymond really known for? Being able to play defense and facilitating the basketball. Yeah. And that's, that's essentially what Ben Simmons' role has been in his career because when it comes to shooting, Ben can't do it. Draymond was a better shooter a couple of years ago, but maybe four or five decreased. years ago. It has decreased tremendously over the last five years. And you look back to some of those playoff games. I mean, even his mother, for God's sakes, was saying, it's like, I don't even know who's out there. You know, and Draymond did not have that good of a playoff run last year. I mean, granted, he showed up in some decent spots here and there, especially defensively. But yeah, when I look at Draymond, he's essentially like their Ben Simmons. That's his role. And if he plays it well, the good for Golden State, you know, I, I think that's why they went out and re-signed Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins because that's where they're going to be able to make up the offense because they're not going to get it from Draymond anymore. Draymond's just going to set pick and rolls, get rebounds, and get assists. That's it. He'll probably average five or six points a game. That's it. I mean, at most, it might be like 10. And that's kind of pushing. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to make that quick... Uh, assessment because I think I I think I actually kind of missed the mark with that characterization with Draymond. I should have said he's more like Ben Simmons, not Thabo Cephalosha. Stabo played really good defense, but he didn't really facilitate the ball that well back in the, back in the OKC days. <clears throat> so just wanted to make that correction. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But with that said, we're going to transition to our last segment of the episode, and we're going to focus on Kev's team. And that is going to be the Dallas Mavericks. So... The Dallas Mavericks had their season opener against the Phoenix Suns a couple nights ago. The Mavericks got off to a really good start. At one point, they were up 22 points in that game against Phoenix, but Phoenix found a way to be able to chip into the game or chip into Dallas's lead to be able to win the game by two points. I think it was a game-winning shot from Damian Lee that was a difference maker for Phoenix over Dallas. Now, obviously, I know that Kev's got a lot to say about Dallas dropping this one against the Suns. Uh, this was the rematch of what we saw from last year's playoff matchup between the Mavs and the Suns, so they were able to run it back in the season debut for both teams. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see this team clash in the foreseeable future when they play against one another. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, how would you assess the Mavericks after losing to the Suns in the first game of the year? Um, I think it's piss. I'm not even going to say poor. It's like the equivalent of piss. You have a 22-point lead, you blow it. You literally run your offense through one focalized player in Luka Doncic. I've, I've literally had enough. Um, you legitimately take your second-best scorer off the floor, so this looks bad on Jay Kidd, and Christian Wood, he barely plays in the, in the closing minutes of this, uh, of, this, of this contest. You go and you get JaVale McGee, he gives you 14 minutes, three points, Four rebounds. Why he's on the roster will forever escape me. But here we are. You go and you give Dorian Finney-Smith a bag at the end of the season last year. Five points. Reggie Bullock. At least he scored 10 points. And then you go and you have Spencer out there. And he gives you, gives you 15. 
But Tim Hardaway's coming off of an injury. He hasn't played in a long time. I don't expect much from him right now. But why didn't Jalen Hardy play? Our star rookie, they said that he was going to get some significant minutes. There's no reason why he should have gotten more minutes than Josh Green, who is an offensive liability. There is no reason why, with Tim struggling, you give the rookie some some minutes in the fourth quarter. Um, Jason Kidd, obviously, we all know as a player's coach, we all know that he is a great basketball mind, one of the greatest point guards to ever play the game. But when you look at this system, and I use that word very lightly because it's not a fucking system at all, for someone who watches as many Mavs games as I do, it is legitimately, go do what you want, Luca. Give the ball to Luca. The offense stands still. Aside from the occasional coming to get him off of a pick, the aside from the occasional passing a teammate the ball to get it right back, the offense stands around like this. Now, I understand for those of you that know basketball, for somebody to be able to take players off the dribble to demand a double team, to have a defense collapse, you have to kick it out to shooters. But when you're going 2 of 10 from the three-point line yourself, when you're going 10 of 23 from the field, and you have four turnovers, I want to know what exactly it is that you're providing us. Yes, we're only in these games because you're providing us with the focal point of offense. 35 points. That could have come from anybody. That could have come from a number of players. You're taking shots away from other people. It has been documented and well-known that when Luka is out injured, uh, having an off night, when he decides to pass first, this team wins because we have consistent knockdown shooters. We have up-and-coming offensive players. We have a good system with him off the floor. But for whatever reason, when the game is on the line, Luka wants the ball at all times. I get it. You're a floor general. I get it. You're one of the best players, if not arguably whoever you want to talk to, arguably the best player in the league. But you can't keep doing this night in and night out. You can't keep doing this in the playoffs. You can't keep not playing defense. You can't keep throwing up garbage shots. I am literally almost as fed up as humanly possible to where in my mind when this game went final, again, it's game one. It's an overreaction. I understand. I said, yo, trade Luka Doncic. Get a haul of picks for him. Get a haul of fucking players for him. I can't keep watching leads diminish because Luka wants to go out there and put on a show. Luka magic only goes so far. It showed in the playoffs. Yes, the only reason we were in those Western Conference Finals was because of what Luka did. But you cannot excuse the lack of defense, the turnovers, the, the forcing of inappropriate and ill-timed shots. There is no system with him on the floor. There is no offense with him on the floor. It is literally Luka or die. Luka or die. And I'm tired of it. It is not effective basketball. It is not efficient basketball. And for those that defend it, you don't know the game. You take Luka off this team, I would rather be shit than watch us have games within a distance. And because he's not willing to give it up to somebody else or because he's not willing to pass the ball because he holds it 21 out of 24 seconds, I don't get it. You calling for a screen, you calling for a pick, you calling for someone to, 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 to come flash up at the corner and then drop on a backdoor screen. In the, that, 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 there is no offense. It is legitimately you dribbling. It's like watching Carmelo Anthony in Denver and on the Knicks before he decided to realize, you know what, I can't do this by myself. Luka is going to continue to struggle if he does not wake up and realize, I can't do it alone. Nick Wright made a prediction. I don't know if it was today, yesterday, this week, whatever. He predicted the Mavericks to win the finals. I have no concept of where the fuck that decision, that prediction, that assumption, that blindly retarded pick. Excuse me, I hate that word. I do apologize. But where on earth do you see the Mavericks going to the NBA finals when you have a player that literally cannot pass the ball when he needs to? I don't get it. 
We lost to the Suns when Chris Paul was having an off night. We lost to the Suns when everybody seemed to have a pretty piss poor night. Cam, Cam Johnson didn't have the greatest night in the world. Mikel Bridges isn't an offensive player, but he only had 13. Obviously, Devin Booker does what he always does, and he dropped buckets. He gave us 28. But the remainder of the team wasn't able to do much. And I, I'm looking at this, and I'm saying they only had 12 turnovers in, in terms of the Suns. Why can't we capitalize? Why is it we're up 22 and we blow a, a whole lead? Where is the urgency? Where is the, where's the, the, the drive of wanting to play? As a whole, the Mavs shot 62% from the free throw line, and that was not Luka's fault. He was 13 of 13, which is a career high. Everybody else didn't know how to knock down free throws. So I'm looking at Luka Doncic as, as, as criminal number one. And then you got Jason Kidd with his substitutions and his obviously decisions on who he wants on the floor, late game and situation. And I'm looking at the remainder of the bench. I am fed up with. Oh my God. Christian McCaffrey just yeah, got traded. Yeah. To... yeah. I, I, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Yeah. He got what? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. My rant yeah. is over. What the, f- yeah. what just Kev, happened? Kev, Kev, I, I just got to ask you, bro. C-Max going to the 49ers. What do you think? I'd, I'd, they already have one of the best offensive lines in the game. CMC is healthy this year. He's a great pass catcher. He's a great downhill runner. It's a matter of what they gave up to get him. So I am I need to know what the trade was in detail before I can go and make an assumption or a prediction because they could have given up an arm and a leg for him. They could have given up nothing. But you insert CMC to an already run-dominant football team, somebody they can catch. I think that 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 catapults them upwards of not only competing in the division, but I think that they 100% win the division now if he can stay healthy, without a doubt. God, it's just the only thing is, though, Kev, you know what happens when it comes to 49ers running backs. They just can't find a way to stay healthy. And, I mean, you're bringing on somebody that, Kev, we both know. When Christian McCaffrey is on, he's on. Oh, my God, he's he's, scary. But this dude can't stay on the field. So, I mean, to me... I think it's a great move. It's just whether or not that he's going to be able to stay on the field. And if that's the case, then, I mean, bro, you got Jeff Wilson and, and Christian McCaffrey back there. How do you stop that? You don't. I man, And, and then you got Debo on top of it. Bro, the running but, game of that team is ridiculous right now. Like, the yeah, running the, attack is, is deadly. Yeah, it, it, they have so many options. I mean, hell, if they needed to use Debo in situations, they could. But now that you got basically a true number one running back in Christian, I would say that Jeff Wilson was their number one running back until this point. You know, so Jeff Wilson's going to probably slide into that number two spot and then use Debo sparingly, you know, at times whenever they kind of do some gadget plays. Bro, they're they're scary. Bro, you got Brandon Ayuk back there. You got Debo. Bro, like, they're nice. And they got the defense to go along with it, too. Bro, that might be a Super Bowl move. With Big San time. Francisco. Uh, I'm looking at Ian Rappaport's I saw, I, I saw Twitter. Draft picks. I saw draft yeah, picks. It, it says, from what I can see, the Panthers were deep in talks with the Rams and 49ers for multiple second-day picks. For those of you that are unaware, second day of the third. NFL draft is second, going to be... Second, yeah, third, and fourth. Second, third, and fourth round picks. Wow. Big move. Big move. Wow. That is that is that is as live and authentic of a reaction as you can possibly get, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. That's a big move, bro. 
it's like huge. I said, dude, and they kept the personnel. Like if that's literally just draft picks, they kept the entire same team. That's scary. Yeah, I think you know when you look at Carolina, they're just going full rebuild at this point. So I oh, mean, yeah. they they shipped off Robbie Anderson to the Cardinals just a few days ago after he had his little sideline spat with. Uh, who was their Who's their new head coach? I don't even know his uh, name, me, but I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. Yeah, because they they fired Matt Rule a couple weeks ago, so he he's gone. Uh, Steve Wilkes, I knew it was somebody by the last name of Wilkes, just forgot his first name, but yeah, I think they're just going full rebuild. They're probably just going full tank at this point. The Panthers are not that good of a football team, and they, you know, they're able to get some draft capital back at this point, and I think that's really all they were trying to look for. So. Yeah, Panthers are probably going to finish out as one of like the worst teams in the NFL this year. It's just, I don't think there's any other way to put it. Bro, they might finish yeah. like 2-15 and 15 this year. I think Steve Wilkes, I think his only job at this point is just to manage the tank. That's it. Yep. But, I mean, dude, what a move, though. What a move for San Francisco. Sheesh. I mean, bro, I, I think that puts them right back in competition for another NFC championship, if not a Super Bowl appearance. Yep, and, and they I, didn't and I, struggle on the offensive side either. That's the thing. This just makes that offense that much better. And, and I know that that's very prisoner of the moment, but, I mean, let's face it. They have a Super Bowl caliber defense. Jimmy's been solid so far this year, and they just find ways to win games. I mean, they, they were almost at the Super Bowl once again last year. They just fell a little bit short, but I think this could be a move that catapults them. I, I really do, so... The NFC is kind of, I would say it's kind of a mixed bag this year just because you have a lot of NFC East teams that are doing very well this year with the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Giants. But are they going to have the requisite pieces and the personnel to go up against a team that's been there in the past like the 49ers consistently or a team like the Rams? The Rams have struggled this year, but you know, are we seeing some sort of like landscape shift in the NFC or the 49ers making that move to essentially keep their foothold as being at the, one of the top dogs in the NFC. And I think, I think this one, it clearly does. That's a great, it was a great pickup for them. They need huge. They, yeah. Cause now you got freaking Jeff Wilson and Christian McCaffrey back there. That that's a nice little running back duo there that they got. So good on them, bro. So I know it was funny. We, we both saw the, uh, the notification for it. I, I saw it a little bit earlier than you. I was just waiting for your facial reaction once once you would see the... Uh, did you get like a little notification on your laptop? No, my dad texted me and he was yeah. like, CMC to San Francisco officially. And then I got the ESPN the bracket on underneath. Yeah, it's just crazy. So... That's nuts. A good move for them. Good move for San Francisco though. Facts. But Kev, I mean, I, I got nothing more else to say about the... Uh, the, the Mavericks thing, that was just pretty much your rant, your tirade. I mean, when it comes to the Mavs, I'm granted it's one game. They they fumbled the bag in game one. It happens. Like, things happen. They'll be able to bounce back from them. I, I'm not too worried about the Mavs. I think the Mavs are going to be definitely in contention in the Western Conference this year. Where they're going to end up, I don't know. We'll see what happens, how they're going to be able to replace Jalen Brunson now that Brunson went off to the Knicks. I did like the fact that Christian Wood got a pretty decent start with him. He did drop 25 points in 24 minutes. So, I mean, Christian Wood did his thing. So It's not Christian Wood's fault that he didn't play in the most important quarter. So Yeah, that's Jason Kidd's. So, I'm just saying, I mean, definitely look out for Christian Wood, though. 
100 percent kid's gonna be a a stud you know i think if if he's able to do that consistently i'm not saying drop 25 points a game but it's like if he could drop you 15 maybe 20 points now we're gonna need we're gonna need a jb replace we need 20 points a game we need it yeah and what's i mean you really can't bank on tim hardaway staying healthy can you no not at all I have to get the points from somewhere, but I think Christian Wood, it's not a bad option, bro. No, he, not at all. And, I, I and, think we need to give Jalen Hardy more minutes, the guy that we drafted in the second round, and that is going to hopefully provide us with some offensive dividends that we're lacking at the moment. I think, I think that they could use Christian's length to their advantage because, I mean, he's a tall dude to begin with. So Yeah, 6'10", 6'11". Yeah, he's, he's a big body that Dallas could definitely use to their advantage. Facts. It's just whether or not they're going to be able to protect the paint, because that's mm-hmm. that's one area where I think they they might struggle this year. Guy might uh, Maxi Kleba, Javale McGee. Uh, you already know about that. Let's not you give know. me another aneurysm, okay? All right, you're already dealing with enough already with the cold on Correct. top of it. So yeah, so the Yankees lost. So I'm obviously not a happy camper. We're down 0-2. The uh, Mavericks didn't obviously start off in the hottest of notes, and then you know. The season's still young. The season's still young. We got plenty of time, so yeah, it's not it's not end of the world based off of one game. So I, I think know. they'll be I think they'll be fine. But hopefully, but yeah, that's pretty much all that we have for you guys today. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed the content as per usual. Um, once again, just wanted to shout out the support wherever we can get it. Uh, we have gotten a pretty decent uptick in our audio plays over the last couple of weeks, so we definitely appreciate the support there. Um, whether you were listening to us on the Apple Music Podcast or just Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, we definitely appreciate the support. If you guys have been watching our YouTube com- uh, YouTube content, we definitely appreciate that as well. Um, going into next week, uh, pretty much expect just a steady diet of NFL content and NBA content. So we're going to really try to ramp up the NBA content now that the season has begun. And um, don't expect that to slow down anytime soon, so... It's going to be pretty busy for us from here on out for the foreseeable future. Kev, I got nothing more to say. The floor is all yours. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for us. Um, we apologize for the you know lack thereof content over the last couple of weeks between me being in Philly, obviously Kyle holding it down, doing what he can, but he also had a wedding. We're back in the full swing. We're happy to be back in the booth. Obviously, I'm a little under the weather, but hopefully I'll get better as time progresses. And uh, we cannot wait to continue to succeed and have fun with the podcast. So, you know, we'll talk to you guys again Sunday night and we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement. Inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast.
Electric Acid.